3: Over the weekend, the Washington Post obtained audio from a call between President Trump and Georgia's top election official, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, where the president told Raffensperger, all I want to do is this. I just want to find 11,780 votes. The audio comes days before the tight Georgia Senate runoff races between Republican incumbent senators Perdue and Leffler and their Democratic challengers, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, as the Senate majority Hangs in the balance. We'll start there with our panel anchor of the story on Fox News Channel and my co-host Martha McCallum, national editor of the Cook Political Report, Amy Walter, and political editor at the National Journal, Josh Krawchuk. You know, guys, thanks for being here. Amy, we're down here in Georgia. It's intense. Every time you turn on the TV, it's. Um, I feel like I'm in Iowa, like it's where the caucuses. Um, But it really just depends on Republicans and disaffected Republicans who really are mad about November 3rd and whether they turn out Tuesday.
0: Yes. Yeah. You know, Brett, that's exactly right. And it's it's also not that much. I mean, it's different and yet not that much different than what we saw in the run up to the November election, where the president was casting doubt on early vote and vote by mail. And, you know, really pushing Republicans to go vote in person. And so when the early vote numbers came out in Georgia, we saw that Democrats had a big advantage uh, and Republicans got really close, but not close enough, obviously, for the presidential race in Georgia on the Election Day turnout to be able to put Donald Trump over the top. This is what we're going to be watching for in Uh, the special election as well. Democrats, once again, turning out early, both with in-person and absentee vote. Um, And the question going into Tuesday is, will Republicans once again show up on election day in really, really big numbers, despite the fact that the president and so many others have called the election in the state, basically, you know, that has, has been rigged or influenced or totally mishandled.
3: Yeah, Martha, when you talk to Republicans privately, some of them seem really worried about after Mm -hmm. that call, what the speech tonight in Dalton, Georgia, is going to look like.
1: Yeah, I think one of the big questions that remains right now is whether or not President Trump is more concerned about his own election or about the one that he is coming down here to rally voters for. And the early indication is that he wants to make a point tonight, he said himself, about what happened in November. So it it seems that he continues to be very, very focused on his own election. That being said, I went out and spoke with some voters at a diner yesterday, got a pretty good cross-section of people in terms of who they're voting for. Uh, But there's a, a tremendous sentiment among people that they feel like something was rigged, that something was wrong. So whether or not that has been backed up on paper, which we know it has not, that sentiment is extremely strong here. And we know that there's a bit of a lag in some of the early voting in some of these rural places like Dalton, where the president's going tonight. Uh, and and that's a big concern on the part of many Republicans, as you uh, point out, Brett. And I, I think that you know this is any this is going to be very 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 interesting tomorrow night, <laughs> to say yeah. the least.
3: Josh, I, I'm a little snake bitten by following polls and averages of polls, and I, I just don't feel like we have a sense of how to effectively poll the Trump voter. So when polls show Purdue or LaFleur down one or two i'd wonder if there's a plus three in there of people who are not answering calls or not doing polls but that said uh bottom line it's going to be tight
2: yeah brett i think you can throw the polls out the window we're just going to have to wait till till tuesday's results but this race is going to come down to fundamentals There are two two big things that are worth watching closely Number one is getting the Trump base to show up, especially in the rural parts of the state, including in Dalton and North Georgia, where the president's going to be tonight. There is a lot of Republican anxiety that you allude to that these voters, uh, they may show up late like, like like they often do, but there's a worry that Trump isn't going to be delivering the type of message that is going to draw them to show up and vote for Senators Leffler and Purdue on Tuesday. So there's that factor. But there's also in a very given that this is going to likely be a very close race. There's also the suburban Atlanta factor where both Purdue and Leffler need to get a certain vote share in Cobb County and the County to, uh, you know, to, to, to win like they like they did, led in the November elections. And, you know, the, the challenge that Republicans face is that the more close to Trump that they connect themselves to, the bigger risk they have in alienating some of these wealthy Suburban voters who usually vote Republican but are much more on the fence in this election So they really have to thread a needle and it's not a very easy one And the president is not making it easy
3: No, in fact, he's made it tougher for both of these candidates a number of different times in different ways threatening not to sign the Stimulus uh, and the government funding signing it and then calling for more stimulus and then vetoing the NDAA All of those things complicated this race from the Republican candidates perspective, but um Amy, you know, when you look at this, this challenge by senators like Cruz and Hawley and this commission they want to set up in 10 days, I, I think if you ask any of them, they're, they, in reality, they do not believe anything is going to change as far as changing that Joe Biden is going to be the next president. That is more about politics and the future than it is about now,
0: uh, right. I think. It absolutely does seem that way, and I've heard senators actually articulate that, that this isn't about overturning the election itself, but it is certainly casting doubt on the integrity of the election, regardless of where this goes from here, whether a commission is set up or whatever else they're suggesting. You are leaving an impression in the minds of millions and millions of voters that, The president, the the current president of the United States was uh, not elected um, in a in a legal or, uh, you know, this is a a president who is here, um, who does not deserve to be there. And that to me is incredibly dangerous because it suggests now that any time there is an election for president, we're going to see people object and you know, create the impression that when you lose, the best course of action is, is to try to work the refs rather than trying to, like, if, if there really indeed are questions, the best way to do that is to work within the states to change some of the rules. We know we had a unique election in that it was taking place during a a pandemic, we knew we were gonna have record numbers of people voting early. The secretaries of state and the state election officials in those states were working really hard to try to make this work pretty seamlessly. And given everything that happened, given that we had record turnout, it is pretty remarkable how smoothly things went. And we've seen through all of the recounts that have gone on in places like Georgia and Wisconsin that indeed, it did work very well. There were not undercounts or overcounts or problems. So uh, the system itself still works quite well. But the fact is, if we have both sides then simply digging in and saying, and in this case, it's Republicans digging in and saying that we should cast doubt on these states and their electoral results. I sure don't think that bodes very well for the idea of the two parties working together to get anything done.
3: Yeah, well, speaking of that, I mean, working together, Martha, this Senate race is going to decide who controls the Senate. Do people, I think, have a grasp of what that looks like in in both ways? You know, how Washington works with Chuck Schumer as the head of the Senate or Mitch McConnell? When it comes to a Biden administration, do you think there's a grasp of that? Do we even have a sense of it, uh, considering how tight it's going to be for either party?
1: Well, I think that that has been the framework of both campaigns in a big way. With the Republicans threatening that we will sort of dissolve into a socialist nation if if Leffler and Purdue do not win. Uh, on the other side, you have you know the desire to sort of protect the Biden agenda. Um, While Republicans claim that that will lead to something that would be very extremist and radical, as we've heard over and over during the course of this campaign. But there's no doubt that having all three houses will put Joe Biden in an interesting situation where he will get a lot of pressure from his progressive wing to push through a lot of agenda that perhaps he is not that comfortable with. Whether or not he'll succumb to that is another story, but it definitely puts him in a more challenging perspective. I mean, I remember right after the November election, we talked about the fact that Perhaps for Joe Biden, the best outcome would be to not get the Senate to sort of provide that buffer uh, from some of the more extreme agenda that has been presented by his party. So, I think that it will take shape in an interesting way. Of course, a lot of focus would fall on people like Joe Manchin, uh, who has said that he would not vote in favor of the filibuster. He said that in an interview with you, Brad. Of course. So, I think that the way that it lays out kind of remains to be seen in the days after this election. But It's going to be a game changer and and a game changer for Georgia and for the political scene going forward in places like Arizona and Georgia when you start to put these states perhaps in different columns, if indeed this does go the Democrats way here.
3: That's a big point there. I mean, Georgia and Arizona would potentially have um, Republican governors, but two senators each who are Democrats if uh, Georgia Democrats pull this off on Tuesday night. Josh, what about that negotiating power in the Senate either way, who controls the chamber?
2: Well, the Georgia and Arizona lessons are going to be on the minds of Republican senators, especially those up for reelection in a couple years. I mean, the the fundamental battle in the future in the Republican Party is going to be those who remain loyal to, to the president the former president even out of office and those who tend more to the the, the, the general electorate and, and have uh, designs to win their own reelections in tougher states and the fact that you do have two democratic senators in arizona and if republicans lose the runoffs in georgia you'd have two two democrats in georgia that would be really uh, striking to the heart of mcconnell's uh, 2021 strategy um, he's going to be looking at senators up for re-election in Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania, in North Carolina, um, Arizona and Georgia as well in two years. And and if he wants to regain power, he's going to have to not just pay attention to the Trump side of the electorate on the Republican side, but he's going to have to think more about the the broader electorate and and where it's headed. And uh, that's going to be the big tension within the Republican Party going forward. Those that are playing to the base and those who want to win elections uh, in in a general election going forward.
4: Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services.
3: Amy, but what we do know is that if they win these two seats, it does change some of it, whether the filibuster is killed or not. You could imagine a Biden administration with a pretty aggressive tax strategy that they can get through with reconciliation. In other words, 50 plus one we saw Obamacare pass uh, with that. Uh, So there are big sweeping things that can happen that could not happen if Republicans uh, controlled the chamber.
0: Well, that's true. And I do think that this discussion has been really important to, to realize that there still are some Democrats there who would be wary, not just of changing things like the filibuster rule, like Joe Manchin, but you also have um, some of those Democrats who are up in 2022, including Mark Kelly from Arizona, who is going to be concerned about taking big sweeping votes, knowing that he won by a very narrow margin, as did um, the state's other Democratic Senator, K- Kirsten Cinema. If Democrats win the Georgia races, that seat is also up in 2022. So both of those states will have a chance to sort of weigh in on how they feel about the the Democratic control of all three branches. And this is why, you know, I, I don't think Democrats would say this out loud, nor would the Biden administration like this. But if you're thinking about just the midterm elections, it's probably better for Democrats not to have control of the Senate, because we know that you know, especially in recent years, as you pointed out, Brett, whether it was Obamacare in 2010 or whether it was in 1994, where the, the Clinton White House had control of all branches of government. And they obviously got wiped out in that midterm election. It's just really dangerous to have all three branches going into a midterm election. And and you have on top of that redistricting and Democrats having a very narrow ma- margin in the House. So that's sort of this balancing act for Biden, right? If he has all three branches, what can he get done? Um, that's not going to put the possibility for getting other stuff done in this second half of the first term because he could lose Congress. And the other question, if he doesn't have control of the Senate, what role do the, the, the sort of this rift within the Republican Party that we're seeing over um, the issue of Georgia and the seating of electors, et cetera, what's that going to look like at, at a legislative level? Are we going to see policy differences, too, between the sort of Murkowski- Rom- Senators Mur- Murkowski and Romney uh, and Susan Collins versus, say, the Senators Josh Hawley and Cruz and maybe Tom Cotton? And will Biden be able to get some of those folks, say, in the Collins-Romney mm-hmm. wing on uh, onto Democratic bills? Or, or once the era Trump is over, are we just going to go right back to where we've kind of always been, which is you got to get a party line vote to get anything done and people switching and, and supporting the other side is going to be slim to none. No, I think that's a great,
3: great point. And we all always seem to be one election away from doing big things, compromised things. And, you know, you have a scenario where uh, Biden could work with some of those people like Romney and and others. Um, and on the flip side, some moderate Democrats could be working uh, and create their own coalition, not only in the Senate, we should point out, but in the House. If there was a message from the election in that they Republicans picked up seats they weren't expected to, uh, state houses went overwhelmingly to Republicans, and yet the president lost. Now, the president uses that as evidence that that the election was stolen from him and the down ticket did better than he did. But in reality, it may be that divided government is kind of what what people were looking for, and they were a little tired of the chaos. Josh, you, you think that's yeah. a fair point? Uh,
2: absolutely, Brett. And it was telling that in Georgia especially, you had Republican senators, David Perdue leading John Ossoff, Republican Senate candidates in the special, including Kelly Loeffler leading the Democratic uh, opponents. So there was a, a critical mass of voters, not a large number, but just enough in a lot of these competitive districts, competitive states, That said, we don't want. uh, We're tired of the crazy. We're tired of the chaos, but we do want to check on democratic governance. We do want uh, some some moderation, and that's why these Georgia Senate runoffs are so important. And I think that's what the message uh, many many voters were 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 telling Americans through their November choices. Uh, So yeah, I I think the big question is how does McConnell? Well, what does McConnell view is in his party's best interest? Is it in his interest to allow some of his more moderate members to work with the Biden administration? Does that give the Republican Party a better brand going into the midterms? Or does, uh, does being the opposition leader and showing that he's a bulwark against the liberalism, is that is that a stronger message to get the base energized? I think a lot is going to be determined on what Biden, what Biden's agenda is and how, how far to the left he ends up trying to govern.
3: And last thing, Amy, what do we think the influence of Donald Trump post-election is going to be i mean do we have a sense yet i mean I'm, it I, I, seems like we're going into a a dangerous time here ahead of the january 20th and we don't know what january sixth is going to look like um but ha- how the dismount happens does that affect how much power he has politically after he leaves
0: all right i don't know if the way he leaves is going to have as much of an impact as other events are going to have on his sal- saliency going forward, right? I mean, what is going to happen in these next few months with vaccine, vaccine dis- distribution, the economy, God forbid any other tragedy that should come uh, you know, into our lives uh, you know, like 2020 did. So I think those have more sal- saliency. And the other piece for... Trump is. I, I do wonder, I, I know there's all this talk that he's still going to be the most influential member of, of the Republican Party. He's still going to sort of direct the pace and the the profile of the party. But once you're no longer in the White House, once his Twitter feed no longer gets 24-7 coverage, it doesn't leave the news anymore. He's no longer the most powerful person on the planet. Um, I don't know that that influence stays as significant, and that, you know, does he really want to spend his time weighing in on House primaries when he was once the leader of the free world? I don't know if that's going to hold as much interest. It does now, what he's doing with the Senate runoff, in part because, as we started this conversation by saying, in part because it, it reflects on him um, it, as much as it does on who controls the Senate. So we'll see. Um, I I do think he will still have an influence. I just don't know if it's going to be as profound and as long standing as as some think it will be.
3: It's going to be tough for some of the media to get off their Trump addiction. I'm, I, I can make that prediction <laughs> right now. It's going to be we're going to have to have a program for some of them do they have a
0: patch for that?
3: Maybe, <laughs> maybe a patch. I'm not sure. Okay, everybody, <laughs> thank you so much. Bye. Thanks for being here. Here's a bit of presidential trivia for you. On January 8th, 1790, President George Washington delivered America's very first State of the Union address to the representatives and senators assembled at Federal Hall in New York City. It was here that President Washington laid out his administration's policies as designed by Alexander Hamilton, arguing in favor of securing the common defense and putting forth the ideas of creating a standing army, building roads, and creating a uniform system of currency. That will do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. From Martha, Amy, and Josh, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.